Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Yes, God hates divorce, but God hates divorce because he loves people and because divorce hurts and damages people. It's not enough to say God hates divorce because the enemy can take that as a club or you yourself can use it and and say, God must hate me. He doesn't. He loves you. The topic of divorce is such an important topic. Why? Because the majority of us have been impacted by it, and along with it come some very strong feelings and opinions, as well as a lot of damage that needs to be healed. Listen in as Pastor Sam begins this also important message entitled, Healing, Help, and Hope. Matthew 5, the title of our message is Healing, Help, and Hope. Verse 31 says, Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason, except sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Then down in verse 37, skip ahead a few verses with me. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. In our last study together, we focused on the relationships between hatred and murder, between lust and adultery, and between divorce and oaths. And because our time was, well, we were pressed as we got to these last couple of issues And because they are so, well, prevalent and prominent in our society, I thought it would be helpful if we backtracked just a little bit and focused on this area specifically of divorce. You're going to see why, and it's going to be helpful. Now, my goal as we look at any passage of Scripture is threefold. We want to bring clarity wherever there's confusion or misunderstanding. We want to bring clarity so we know what God's saying and and what he wants and what he's trying to do. There's also an opportunity whenever we're together to confront sin. And the Bible does, in fact, say, warn the unruly. And I'm hoping as we gather together, if if I'm out of step in any way or you're out of step in any way, that, that the Lord will pull us back in. So we're walking rightly, uprightly, walking in the light, walking in obedience, walking in the truth. So clarity, comfort, and, and then third, or, or secondly, confront, you know, and warn the unruly, and then console. The Bible says to comfort the faint-hearted. And at the end of our last study, I was a bit disturbed, and I'll share with you why this will all make sense to you. I saw people that I just so dearly love with tears in their eyes. And there are some times where those are just tears of joy or even tears of the Lord's worked in my heart, and, and there's been conviction, and now there's comfort, and but... I was thinking that it's possible, in fact, even probable, that what God intended for good and what I intend for good, the enemy could use for evil. 
If you're familiar with the story at the end of Genesis where Joseph has been abused by his brothers and, and then ultimately they stand before him and they realize, hey, this guy has power over us now. He can pay us back. And they're fearful. And he says, look, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And here's what I see happening. It's sort of the exact opposite of that. What God intends for good, what I intend for good, the enemy can get a hold of and he can beat you up with it. And if he'll accuse Jesus, certainly he'll accuse you. And if he can try to ensnare and trap Jesus, certainly he'll try to ensnare and entrap us. And so... Our study last time concluded considering divorce and the vows that are broken in divorce. And when I see people I love grieving, I want to make sure that I'm absolutely laying it out the way God intended. Now, today we're going to reconsider this area of divorce and vows. And, and you need to know if you're unaware that divorce is a worldwide crisis. And um, it, it has reached epidemic proportions. I, I'm sure you know in America, the divorce rate is nearly 50%. In fact, in a minute, we'll have a little visual illustration that I think will help us realize how prevalent and how devastating divorce has been to so many, even of us. But... In the United States, about a 50% divorce rate. It hovers, it goes up, it goes down a little bit, but it hovers around there. In the former Soviet Union, the divorce rate is virtually 100%. Now, that doesn't mean that out of every 100 people that get married, there are 100 divorces. What it means is there are more people getting divorced and then remarrying and getting divorced again than getting married and staying married, that it offsets those few that are able to stay together. And so what happens is that when sin isn't confronted, and I shared some things last time, I'm going to clarify here in a moment, but when sin isn't confronted or dealt with as sin in a loving and restorative way, well, what happens is it just it escalates in a society and it devastates that society. And it's been a problem here, but even more there because no one was teaching the Bible because no one was proclaiming the truth. And so you end up with extremes, none of them healthy, none of them profitable. Well, before we actually reconsider a couple things we shared last time and then get to the heart of what we're going to consider today, that there is healing for the past that there is help for the present, and that there is hope for the future. No matter what you've been through or gone through, if you were convicted last time about anger and murder, if you were convicted about lust and adultery, if you were convicted because, because you've been through a divorce or you've suffered as a result of a divorce... And you didn't come to confession and experience cleansing and, and forgiveness. Well, then I didn't accomplish what I set out to do and God didn't accomplish what he set out to do. Conviction should always lead to confession and cleansing and restoration and, and then a peace and a joy to know that, man, I'm right with the Lord and, and that things are good with the Lord. But anyway, we'll get there in a moment. 
I do want to do this visual illustration. I don't want anybody to trip on it. Don't think I'm going to embarrass anybody or anything like that. But I want everybody to stand with me for just a moment in order to make a point. I don't know any better way to do this. Because I've already shared with you that divorce is prevalent and prominent, I want you to know that most people here have been touched and affected in one way or another by divorce. It's not, it's not just a few of us, it's not half of us, it's most of us. And you got to see it to believe it. First of all, and I'm doing it this way to bring less embarrassment to anybody who might think, oh my gosh, I never go to church, I finally go to church and now they're talking about my thing, you know. That's not what I'm trying to do. But if, if you grew up in a family where your parents divorced, I want you to sit down right now and I want everyone else to remain standing. If you grew up in a family where your parents divorced, you notice I'm sitting, there's a reason for that. My parents divorced. Pam's parents divorced. I don't know if you know that much about us. We're stubborn. Uh, I mean, it's, you probably know she's stubborn if you know her, but you may not have known that about me. But we purposed we would never be divorced. Why? Our parents were divorced. And we, we said, we're not going to let that happen to us. Our problem was we didn't know how we were going to stay together. We didn't want to just tolerate each other. We wanted to learn to love each other and bless each other. Okay, well, listen. So, so the, this sort of sits down a few. Now, if you are in a family where your brothers or sisters have been divorced or where your own children have been divorced, I want you to sit as well. Even without making, you know, any, any, uh, you know, looking around, it's pretty obvious a lot more people are sitting. Now, finally, and, and I, I, I waited for you guys last because I don't want to bring any embarrassment to you. This is meant to be a, a helpful and healing and, and healthy time. But if you yourself have been through the, the tearing and, and the hurt of divorce, I want you to sit now as well. Okay, now. What, what you see as, as you look at this group standing, in the first service I think there was maybe 15 or 20 percent. This looks like about maybe 20 to 30 percent still standing. What you see is how few are left standing when any sin ravages a land, when it goes unchecked or unconfronted. The rest of you guys should sit down as well now. Here's my point. If you have not or did not grow up in a family where your parents divorced, if your brothers and sisters have never divorced, if your children have never divorced, if you yourself have never divorced, then, then you are not in the majority of our population. You are a minority. And, um, and so you just got to praise God that, that, that somehow he has kept your family intact. But you need to know, you need to know that God would have us all be agents of healing and, and help and hope, especially if it's an area where so many people in our society have been hurt, wounded, devastated, destroyed by any particular area or sin. Now, I shared three things at the end of the last study in relation to divorce. This is not my message. This is just the introduction. But I promise you, when we get to the message, it will be swift and helpful. But I, I shared that God hates divorce. And, and, and I know that that's true, and you need to know it's true, but it's not the whole truth. 
And there's always a danger when we share the word of God with others that will give them the truth, but not the whole truth. Yes, God hates divorce, but God hates divorce because he loves people and because divorce hurts and damages people. It's not enough to say God hates divorce because the enemy can take that as a club or you yourself can use it and and say, God must hate me. He doesn't. He loves you. And if you've been through the pain of a divorce or your parents or your brothers and sisters or your children or those close to you, those loved by you, You need to know that God hates it because of what it does to people he loves. Years ago, Bud shared with me when he was still framing, before he was pastoring with us, that if you were to take a couple two-by-fours or four-by-sixes and you were to glue them together with carpenter's glue and let that stuff dry, it becomes virtually impossible to take them apart. Now, I say virtually because you can still take them apart. You can but not without doing great damage to both. And when God puts two people together in a mystical and spiritual and very real way, the two become one. And for those two to be separated causes great damage to both. And if we try to blow it off and say, well, I don't know if it's really that big a deal. People seem to be surviving it. I know people who are divorced and they seem happy. Listen, there's no healing in that. That's just trying to get through it by denying the reality that divorce is painful. And if you've been through it and you know that, and maybe you've pushed it aside and tried not to think about it or deal with it, the reason we're bringing it up isn't to cause you more pain, but to ease your pain, to relieve your pain, to put it in the past, to once and for all deal with it. Well, divorce doesn't just hurt the people who are divorced. That would be one reason God would hate it. It it hurts people that had nothing to do with it but are directly affected by it. Do you know when parents go through a divorce that children oftentimes think it was their fault? I don't know if you're aware of that. If you've been through a divorce, you need to make sure your kids know, hey, it wasn't you guys. You would never think that. You'd never think they're going to blame themselves. They do, and they don't always articulate it. And so the, the bottom line is divorce hurts the people who go through divorce. It hurts the children. It messes with the, the family structure. My kids grew up without the stability of godly grandparents, and, and that was troubling to me. But I can't do anything about that. What I can do, though, is make sure my grandkids have godly grandparents, you see. I'm not responsible for what happened before me, but I am responsible for what happens here on out. And I've purposed that there will be generations, if the Lord tarries, that that know the Lord and serve the Lord, and that they'll be able to look at grandpa and grandma and, and uncles and aunts that are godly people rightly representing the Lord. And I pray that you would purpose the same thing. So God hates divorce because divorce hurts people and God loves people. See, that's the whole truth. And if you get the first part without the second part, the enemy has room to roam. And he comes to steal, to kill and destroy. He wants to discourage you. He wants to disqualify you for ministry. 
my heart is otherwise. And I want to see you encouraged in the Lord, equipped and qualified to serve the Lord, thriving in your relationships in the Lord. And that's the Lord's plan and purpose as well. The second thing I shared, and equally disturbing and distressing, especially if you don't get the other side of the coin, not only does God hate divorce, but divorce has got to be sin. Why? Because God doesn't hate anything that's good. Every good and perfect gift comes down from him. And when he says he hates sin, or when he says divorce is sin, you need to know our passage says that divorce was allowed. But it's one thing for God to allow something. It's another thing for him to approve it. Did you know that God allows murder? He doesn't stop every person who tries to commit murder from, murder from doing so. God allows adultery. And who in their right mind would say, well, God must approve murder or approve adultery? The fact that things happen that are out of the will of God doesn't change the will of God. It just exhibits the, the, the sinfulness of mankind. And, and so God's plan from the very beginning, a man would leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. That's that picture glued together. And the two would become one flesh. Our passage says when there is no real grounds, no sexual immorality for divorce, that the man who divorces his wife causes her to commit adultery. And the one who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now those are troubling statements from the lips of our Lord. But you need to get it in its context and you need to see it in its broadness. What he's saying is that because God's plan A was one man, one woman, when that is broken, except by sexual immorality, then that person ends up in a relationship with someone else and that was never God's intention. God never wanted that. Why? He knows the confusion, the destruction, the chaos that would result. And God wants a godly seed. He wants children growing up in stable homes, stable families. He wants a godly generation to raise another godly generation. So God hates divorce. And divorce is sin. But, but here's the third, and I, I know I touched on it, but I gotta, I gotta make sure you get it. Divorce is forgivable. In fact, let me ask you a question. Is there anyone who believes that God will not forgive, restore, transform, and even use a murderer? Do you know that God forgives murder, that he transforms murderers, that he uses murderers? How many believe that God can forgive, transform, and use a murderer? Listen, you better know it, because the Apostle Paul was a murderer. And he planted churches, having been confronted by the Lord, converted by the Lord, commissioned by the Lord. He planted churches all over the place. Now stay with me, this is so important, especially for those of you whose heads may be spinning a little and you're thinking, man, this is just a little more than I was hoping to encounter today. I wanted some stories about the cruise and, you know, some lighthearted stuff. I thought we got past this last time. Well, here's the deal. God does forgive murder and he restores and transforms and uses murderers. What about adultery? Is adultery an unforgivable sin? Can God forgive an adulterer and transform and use that man? How many believe he can? Listen, 
David was an adulterer. You think David's going to be in heaven? You know he will be. Why? Because he repented and asked forgiveness and he had hid from the Lord and he came and said, no, I'm hiding in you. Running from him, but now comforted by him. The third question, if God will forgive, restore, and use a murderer and forgive, restore, and use an adulterer, is it possible that divorce is an unforgivable sin? Is a divorce a sin that God cannot and will not forgive? Someone that can't be restored, that can't be used by him? And you have to know the answer can only be one thing. No, divorce is forgivable as well. And the two extremes I often see, and I know I shared this last time, but among those who are liberally minded, they, they just try to act like divorce is no big deal. That devastates families, that devastates communities, it devastates our culture. Among those who are judgmental and, and self-righteous and condemning, they act like divorce is the unforgivable sin. I got to share something else with you. I don't know if I shared this last time. I have a friend, a close and dear friend, pastors of Calvary Chapel today. When I met him, he was on his way to jail. He was a, well, I, I shouldn't give his testimony. I'll have him come sometime and do it. But anyway, he was, he was a drug abuser and a drug dealer and he'd been immoral and all sorts of things. And he also happened to have been divorced. Well, make a long story short, his wife and child stayed with us while he was in prison. When he got out of prison, he went off to a Bible college, not Calvary's Bible college, another Bible college, mainstream denomination. And when he graduated the college, thinking he would be ordained by them, he got some bad news. We can't ordain you, they said. And he said, why? They said, well, we didn't realize, and obviously you didn't realize the importance of it. You were divorced. And he goes, I was divorced before I was a Christian. Are you saying that that can't be forgiven? That when old things pass away and all things become new, you mean all and all except divorce? And he was blown away. He couldn't believe it. Here's a man who felt called to the ministry, prepared for the ministry, now telling, being told he can't be in the ministry. And his divorce, get this, was before he ever even became a Christian. Now, Track with me on this because it's exceedingly important to where we're headed. If murder is not unforgivable and adultery isn't unforgivable and we deal with divorce as if it were unforgivable, what we're doing is saying murder and adultery are less of a sin than divorce. In fact, had he murdered his wife, served his time and got out, he could have married and still served in that denomination. Doesn't that seem wrong? Isn't that troubling to you? That a murderer can pastor, but not a divorced person? If he had committed adultery, or let's just say he never married, it would have been possible for him to live with as many women as he wanted, sleep with them as many times as he wanted, just come and go as much as he wanted, then become a Christian, get married. And he could have served in that denomination. Now, I'm not naming the denomination because my goal isn't to pick on them. And if you think for a moment, I'm trying to say divorce isn't serious or it's no big deal or doesn't, you know I'm not saying that. I'm just saying divorce is not an unforgivable sin. And if it, if it becomes that to us or if we deal with people that way, what we're doing is saying 
Murderers, accepted and forgiven. Adulterers, accepted and forgiven. Thieves, liars, cheats. We forgive it. We accept it. You can get in the Bible college. We'll train you up. We'll send you out. You can pastor. You can do it all. But if you're divorced, you have committed an unforgivable sin. I don't believe that's biblical. I don't believe that's scriptural. I think it's apart from the heart of God. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yet, it is a human characteristic to view some sins as worse than others. And this can have a severe impact on the way that we reflect Jesus' grace and forgiveness in our own lives, whether that be towards ourselves or towards others. Join us next time as Pastor Sam completes this message, Healing, Help, and Hope. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.